0: Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry.
1: Enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to tcs.com. That's tcs.com. Welcome to another episode of the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury, your host. Today, you're in for a treat. And before we get started, though, I do need to mention that we have ratings and reviews that hopefully you'll go to the show notes and give me some input on that. Also, in regard to a survey, we have a survey so that if you take 10 seconds or less to fill out, you'll be able to get some stickers for your hard hats or laptops, whatever you might need to put those on. I would like to introduce a gentleman that's a great leader, a leader in his industry, but beyond that, he's going to tell us about his background and so forth, Frank Vescusco. I've already messed up the name, but anyway, he'll help me through it. (laughs) Appreciate that. I told him, Frank, that I have the Oklahoma allergies today, so bear with me and the audience as well, but we'll get through this. And Frank is a great leader, and as I mentioned, his industry is a best-selling author, In fact, let's hear from Frank. Tell me about you and your history and where it leads to the energy industry as well. It's a long path that you've gone through. Please take your time on this, too.
0: I appreciate that, Mark. First, thank you so much for giving me the invite and the opportunity to talk with everybody. And I am a retired deputy fire chief in New Jersey in a town just outside of really across the river from Manhattan, Kearney, New Jersey which is sandwiched between Newark and Jersey City. And son of a firefighter, brother of a firefighter. My brother was a deputy chief as well. It was a fantastic journey. It didn't come without challenges, you know, because leading in the fire service can be a very challenging thing. And to be honest with you, Mark, there's not a lot of, or at the time, I should say, there wasn't a lot of information that sit here and said, you know, this is the way you want to lead people you grew up with. And because that's kind of the way it was. I mean, we went to school together. We were on wrestling teams together or played other sports together. Many of us, some were three, four, five years older. Some of them were my father's age because my father being on a job when I got on a job. And then, you know, you find yourself moving your up the ranks in the fire service and you have to figure out ways to motivate and lead people. It's not very difficult thing once you really focus on developing your ability to lead but there was a learning curve is where i'm going with this there was a learning curve where i had to try to figure out the right way and the wrong way to do it and the process of i like to say this i mean listen uh, i'm going to fast forward now and i'm going to tell you that's kind of how it started and i'll just tell you real quick i've written 10 books on leadership and team development i led teams in the fire service outside the fire service everything from youth sports to business teams and i do a lot of speaking on leadership and team building in all arenas that you could possibly imagine from emergency services, fire, police, EMS, U.S. military, Fortune 500 companies, the medical industry, and yes, even did some training with ExxonMobil plant managers as an example of a little bit of work in this industry. And a lot of it has come from starting with how to lead people in a fire service on the fire ground and how that translates to leading people in the real world. And what I found out was this, quite honestly, if you can learn to lead in one area of your life, a lot of what it takes to lead a team is, it doesn't really depend all that much on what the industry is. A lot of what it takes to lead a team in one industry, all you have to do is duplicate some things that we're going to talk about on this podcast. And you can lead teams in other arenas too. And as a quick example of what I mean by that is, You know, I've coached youth sports. I've coached over now probably 25 plus Little League teams down in Toms River, New Jersey. And Little League travel teams, all-star teams, you name it. And what it takes to lead kids that are ages 9 to 16 is very similar to what it took for me to lead firefighters in the fire service. As an example, step one is setting your expectations of what we need to focus on. And we're going to build, and I know we're going to have a lot of conversation on what it takes to lead and how it all translates, but I can't stress this enough that once you learn how to lead people, a lot of what it takes to continue to lead people is, I like to say this, it's not a shock at all campaign. You don't just do one thing and say, hey, suddenly I'm a leader. No, it's constant effort. It's constant Trying to find ways to motivate people, to guide them, to lead them in the right direction. And that all starts first and foremost with setting our expectations. Because every organization's culture is created by either design or default. And creating it by design is sitting down with maybe some of the key players on your team and saying, hey, what is it that we're trying to accomplish here so we can all get on the same page? Because if we're not all on the same page, guess what? We're just a bunch of people showing up, punching a clock, trying to do a job. And if people aren't connected to a meaningful goal, We're going to have drama we're going to have conflict and we're going to have a lot of unproductive time because people may be doing busy work instead of meaningful work Mm -hmm. so that's a quick introduction of i guess myself as well as some of the direction i think we're going to go in on the show
1: we're listening to frank viscuso and it's wonderful to have you on the show highly recommended by others And one thing that i noticed on the bio was i was going to introduce best-selling author and say eight books but I knew in my mind that you probably have written some more and you did. You have, you said 10 books, correct? And... 10 books. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's 10 published books. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is on my computer, I probably have three or four manuscripts and that are ready to go.
1: That's and one of the
0: things, yeah, it's thank you. One of the things that I've learned about that is I don't rush timing on things. Right. I'm very particular in setting goals and yeah. frames. Yeah. It's important, but at the same time, it's like a good meal. Sometimes you need a little extra time to cook that meal before it's ready. And that's how I feel about my books at this point. I'm not in any rush to get the work out there. I want the work out there at the right time. So some of the things I'm still kind of fine tuning a little bit.
1: Frank, what's your. I want to start off with so that people can follow along after the show. We'll definitely have on show notes, things like that. But if you will give us your website, how to get in touch with you as far as your books and things like that.
0: Well, I appreciate that. It's just my name, Frank Viskew. So V.S. and Victor iscuso.com mm-hmm. com, also commonvalor.com. They both take you to the same site. Common Valor was the first book that I had written. And that one featured true stories from firefighters before I got into teaching about leadership principles and team building.
1: You know, there's students, Frank, that are thinking about getting in the energy industry, for example, they really are searching for how to lead, how to follow, how to take the lead in different ways to, as you mentioned, conflicts and things like that that could come along the way, and how do they meet those challenges? So I look at it from the standpoint, of the challenges for students and for those that are upcoming students, but also energy fellows that are senior fellows. We all can learn how to lead. There's got to be ways that we can, you know, take the lead from different ways. I'm still learning. I've been in the business, energy business, for 46 years, coming June 1st. With that, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to attain that goal of true leadership. And so, you know, each day I have different challenges. We all do. Tell us about how to meet the challenges. And you might want to go off different ways of how to approach that. But I feel like right now we need guidance along the way for young people and even those my age along the way of how to properly lead.
0: Yeah, well, first, I'll tell you this. I'm still learning, too. And I like to, when I travel around the country and I do talks, 60, 70 times a year to organizations. And one of the first things I tell them is, if you came here to to listen to a leadership expert, you came to the wrong room. I'm a leadership student, more so than an expert. And I do consider myself a leadership and a team building specialist because it's what I focus on. So answering the question that you just asked are things that I'm passionate about. And again, it comes down to, especially with this, a younger, a new generation, you know, it comes down to us, sitting down and saying well what is the ultimate end goal you know we've heard you know for many many years people talk about beginning with the end in mind and the importance of understanding where you're what your end goal is what you're trying to accomplish i do this every single day i sit down i did it this morning i write down the things that i want to accomplish today just today and i make myself a little checky. and it's weird the way that i do it mark that Not weird, but it's just my own little way of doing it. I'll write down the thing I need to do, and I'll put a little box before it so I can check that box off when it's done. Mm -hmm. And every given day, there's anywhere from five to eight things, sometimes more. I try not to put too many on there. You know, if I got 20 things on there, it sometimes feels overwhelming, so I just got to say, well, what are the most important things? And say, all right, these are the things that I I need to accomplish today in order to move forward. Leadership's about moving forward. So... If you want to now lead teams, let's start with leading yourself. A leader of one can one day become a leader of many. But if you can't lead one, you'll never lead any.
1: Wonderful, wonderful.
0: And the one we're talking about is you leading you. Mm -hmm. And people will see that here's a person who gets things done. I usually end shows like this with something I'm going to start with right now, which is what I call leadership one-on-one. Leadership one-on-one is a very simple prospect of this. If you want to become a leader... You have to do what leaders do. And what do they do? And the first thing they do is they identify a problem. Because if you're trying to lead, you're trying to solve problems. Leadership is about problem solving. So identify a problem. The second thing they do is assemble a group of people. Now, if you are working with a group of people, the group of people is already assembled. And if you're working in any industry, problems are all around you. So the problems are there and the people are already assembled. Everybody has those two things already. Mm -hmm. But leadership 101, step three, is develop a solution together. And someone has to lead the team together and say, hey, let's talk about what we're dealing with here, the problem we need to solve, and talk about ways we need to solve it. And you talk about it. You have conversations. and, And you want the best ideas to win. So this is why you want everybody involved. And then step four, go solve the problem. If there was a step five, by the way, Mark, you know what it is? Repeat. Mm -hmm. Just continue to do it again. So identify a problem, assemble a group of people, develop a solution together, go solve the problem. That's leadership 101. And it could be with anything in your life, by the way. This is what I love about this. And this is what I meant earlier. Like I can coach a little league baseball. I could coach grown men and women in the fire service that have been on the job for 25 years. And I use a lot of the same things. And that's an example Of those four steps is an example. Another example is what we said earlier is now let's set the expectations. Now this is what we're trying to accomplish. Here's the end goal. You take Little League, for example. What's the end goal of a 12-year-old Little League team? Well, the end goal, the ultimate goal, is to get the Little League World Series. Mm -hmm. Toms River, the town that I coach in, has got a great history of getting teams there. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it, there's 180,000 Little League baseball teams in the world. Oh my goodness. Only 10, and it used to be eight from America, but only 10 from America make it to the Little League World Series. And our coaches over the past few years have had a pretty good track record of getting teams there. And over 25 years ago, they won it. So it's one of these things where, like, how did they do it? Well, I still remember when my son's team was nine years old, we had the president of our Little League came and talked to the All-Star team when they were nine. And he said, you guys are working really hard. I like what I'm seeing. You have a great future ahead of you. The end goal is when you're 12 years old. The end goal is gonna be to get you to Williamsport. And he was talking about how, the Little League World Series, he was talking about how he's training a team right now that they've talked about that since the age of nine. And sure enough, that next year he brought his team and they qualified for the little league world series and we're playing on espn and all that fun stuff begin with the end in mind set the expectations up front what are we trying to accomplish because if we don't talk about it so many things seem like they're unreachable it's crazy i mean i was just reading a story about yogi Berra this morning a story from one of his family members and i one day was out in the st louis area and we were having dinner in this this italian neighborhood called the hill and my buddy says, hey, you're a Yankees fan, right? I said, yeah. He says, well, Yogi Berra grew up one street over. I said, really? Yeah. So I said, I'd love to go see his house. And he says, yeah, he's got a plaque in front of his house. And his niece, I didn't know this at the time, still lives there. So we go and we're looking at the plaque. And this is like probably eight, 8 o'clock at night. We're looking at the plaque in front of his house. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. He grew up right here. And he tells me how there was another player who was an all-star hall of famer joe Gragiola, who played right across the street played for st louis but he lived right across the street from right and he said they grew up together they played little league together i said that's incredible they both are right they're hall of famers so as we're standing there yogi's niece walks by she's walking a dog and i don't know it's his niece but my buddy lives in the area and he goes are you yogi's niece she says i am he says well this is my buddy frank he's from new jersey and he's He's a fan of the Yankees. She says, oh, come on up. She invites us onto the porch. Oh, my goodness. Right? So we're sitting there, <laughs> and she's telling us how, yeah, they used to play stickball and wiffle ball and all that stuff right there, right in front of the house, and how Joe Graziola one time said that he never felt like he was a great player growing up because he wasn't even the best player on his Little League team. Yogi was. And this guy went to be a Hall of Famer, but – See, now think about how these two guys must have kind of fed off of each other because as one of them's maybe going to a certain place, getting drafted and achieving success, the other one's saying, hey, it's possible, right? Because my best buddies just did it. So it's possible. So it's close. And I think that that is a something that I take very seriously when we're talking about achieving success as a team if you're trying to lead a team somewhere specific because you set the expectation of what you want to accomplish, the next step is to find people who have done it. Learn from them, whether it be books, seminars, podcast episodes like this. Talk to them one-on-one. It's so easy to connect with anyone in the world today because of social media, because of technology. And you could literally like reach out to people and say... And maybe they answer, maybe they don't. But at the very least, even if you can't connect with them, you can get information from oh, them based
1: on... It's unbelievable. Great advice. Great advice. Because you can at least go to their books or or their right. quotes, like you did the quotes. You'll get things like that. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Yes. It's fantastic.
0: It's all out there, but you have to seek it. Oh, yeah. It's not coming to you. It's not just going to fall on your lap.
1: Oh, that's so great advice. Well, you know, we talk about the Energy Fellows. When you mentioned about different you know, individual leadership, and then, of course, you know, it goes to team leadership and other things like that. I know safety and things like that have been very important in your life, in your career, and so that's something you may want to address a little bit. But because that applies to almost every industry, I know I was involved with environmental and safety committee. I was chair one year, actually two years, on one board, and it's very involved. Very involved to do it right. If you don't do it right, it's not very involved. But I, our group did, and so I was very proud of that. I know that the challenges ahead, as we talked about a little while ago, starts with an individual, goes to the, even up to the, from the whiteboard, white call from the whiteboard to the boardroom. Starts off with some ideas, goes all the way to the board. But how do you get everybody on board? That's been a challenge, I know, from 46 years in the business. It still is a challenge to make sure everybody's on board because there's some people slip through the cracks, don't hear about things, and don't get involved maybe, and everybody should be involved, I think. But tell us how you go about that. And of course, from your being in the, as a fireman all the way through, firefighter and so forth, all the way through your corporate leadership, I'm sure that's part of the efforts you put forward.
0: Well, I appreciate that question. First thing I'll talk about is safety. And I heard a quote a long time ago, danger diminishes with competence learn how to do your job, learn how to do your job right. Because if you're doing it right and you create muscle memory when you're doing it, you have to think about the fire service. When We talk about danger. I mean, a firefighter can get hurt during a storm trying to vent a roof at four o'clock in the morning, 25 mile an hour winds and a raging three alarm fire. And they need to get on that roof and cut a hole in that thing in order to have a chance to put this fire out effectively, and all of a sudden, it's like, wait, we need to do what? We, didn't, we don't train for that because you don't go out in that type of weather and train on a roof to do that particular thing at that time. Well, but how often do you train to do the things that you need to do? How prepared are you? Have you created muscle memory to a point? Like I like to give the example of Sully landing a plane on the Hudson River. He never trained to land a plane on the Hudson River. It's not like they showed up one day and he said, hey, Sully, today we're going to put 88 people on a commercial airliner. We're going to take out your engines and you're going to have to land on water. No, that's not what they did. But he did train to remain calm in the face of adversity, Mm -hmm. to go through his check sheet to do critical thinking and say, okay, these are the steps that – these are our options. Is this going to work? No, it's not. How about this? Can we get here? Can we get to Teterboro? No, we don't have enough thrust. We don't have any thrust. We're going down right now. Is there an open highway around? No, there's not. We're talking about the most populated area in the country, but I have a river. And not only do I have a river, I have ferries and fireboats on both sides of the river. We have two of the largest police departments in New York and New Jersey, Fire Service, New York and New Jersey, EMS, New York and New Jersey, right here. Well, guess what? This makes sense. It's not the option I want, but it's the option I have. But it's all about remaining calm and a face of diversity. And so, you know, just remember, danger diminishes with competence. But as far as getting people on board, there's no other way to do it except to have conversations with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, conversations, I like to say this. If we have conflict or drama at work, let's talk about drama first. Drama's a clear indication your team's not connected on a meaningful goal. And how are you not connected on a meaningful goal? Because we're not having conversations with each other. Now, if you have conflict with people, imagine, and I truly believe this, you could resolve 85 to 90% of the conflict, if not higher, of the conflict you have with other individuals by just having a conversation with the individual you have conflict with. Right. Having conversations with people is the most important part of us getting in sync with each other. Because I can't get anybody to say, hey, I want to follow this person or this program or this path with this group of people if we're not talking to the people. And this happens all the time. You know where it happens a lot, by the way? It happens a lot. I talked to a lot of volunteer firefighters. We have career and volunteer firefighters. I talked to a lot of volunteer firefighters that say, you know, we have a hard time retaining people. It's a dangerous job. But. You know, you have to sit here and say, well, if you have a hard time retaining people, they came in the front door, they said, we want to be a part of your organization. They no longer do. Why is that? Well, if you think about this, there's only, there's probably a million reasons why people work, but every one of them could fit into one of these six categories, right? People work for time, money, security, recognition, belong to a team, or to make a difference. Now, how do you work for time? That's like saying, hey, I could work a few hours over time, make a few extra bucks and take that weekend and get away with my loved ones. As an example, we know what it means to work for money and security. There's people in your industry that do very well financially and have security. So they have the top three reasons why people work. As an example, they have it. Time, money, security, they have those things. But what about the other three? Recognition, belong to a team, and to make a difference. They are so powerful that if people don't get one or those all of those three things, and it's not like, I don't mean it in a selfish way, I want recognition. They just want people to say, acknowledge that you exist. We're human beings, right? So if we give that to our team members, recognition when they do a good job, I don't know why we don't do more of it. I know a lot of people make decisions based off fear or greed or ego. Be confident in your position, be comfortable with your leadership role, and if you st- build people up, they're going to want to be part of this organization for a long time because they'll feel good about themselves when they're here. But if you give people that recognition, make them feel like they belong to a team and are making a difference, well, well, guess what? They're going to be happy to come to work as compared to if they don't get those things. Hey, I'm not happy. I don't really like my job, but I have money and I have security. So I'm going anyway because I have a family to take care of. 50 to 60, maybe 70% of Americans are right there, right now, right now, where I don't love my job. I do it because I have to do it. Right. But what if, what if we actually sat back and thought about this very simple thing? People want to be in a room where they feel valued, where they feel people are, have their back. I just even posted something about this morning. That, you know, you have to be careful of who you hang out with because if you spend, you spend a lot of time with unethical people, well, guess what? You're going to start to do unethical things because you're spending time with people that do unethical things. And I once heard a friend from the Midwest describe it this way. He said, pigs don't know pigs stink. You know, they roll around in the mud, <laughs> they're pigs. And so people who hang out with people who are negative and complaining all the time. Don't even realize that they're negative and complaining all the time because they're in the environment that everybody else is doing that. So we have to have the right conversations with people, make them feel valued. And when I say the right conversations, let me specify what that is. I want to get to know about you. If you're married, if you have children, what your goals are, what your dreams are, what you were passionate about. I want to know about you as a person because if I'm going to spend you know, a quarter of my life in the same building in the same room, maybe the same office as you, right. I want a great, healthy working relationship with you.
1: Well, I'm glad you're saying this because I find that really being authentic is so important because you have communication, which I totally, I really like what you're saying, the wisdom you're giving there, but, but also the wisdom of who mm-hmm. you hang around is very important, who you're involved with. Now, all these tips that you're giving, I call them daily tips because they're not you can't get away from daily tips on this. This is something you have to apply daily. and But authentic communication and being able to communicate with others is so vital. And I'm so glad you're saying that because we're facing the energy industry, challenges of workforce development, which I know a lot of other industries are, retention, recruitment, and all those things are factored in. So let's go a little bit further. You mentioned habits that you have. You mentioned one habit, for example, of every day setting your, your priorities, making sure your goals are in line and and so forth. What other tips do you give to others right now that can be applied on a daily basis, but maybe weekly, monthly, and so forth? I know this, Frank, uh, Talking to Frank Piscuso. <laughs> we're going to have to bring you back because <laughs> hopefully you'll be able to sometime because you've got so much to offer those that are listening, especially in the energy, energy field, but other fields as well. Anyway, I'll let, let you answer those questions.
0: I appreciate you saying that. And you know, you want to talk about habits. Here's a habit that I had to learn. And I think this, some of your listeners will find this helpful. I am an overthinker. And when I do my seminars, or I conduct my seminars. I ask people, is anyone else here an overthinker? And I'm very happy that I started asking that question because what I found out is it's a very common thing. You know, I'd say probably maybe at least 40% of the hands in a room go up. And I explain what how it affected me growing up. And here's how it affected me. And I'm talking, you know, I'm going to take you back to high school, 15, 16 years old, 17 years old. I'd sometimes lay in bed awake for a couple of hours, stressing out because I'm overthinking. And it, was, it wasn't like I'm just thinking about something. I'm thinking about what I said that I should not have said or what I did that I shouldn't have done or what I didn't do that I should have done. And many times, these are things that happened weeks ago, sometimes even years ago. And I'm like, why did I do that? I'm so dumb. And it would be just incredibly negative self-talk, incredibly, to a point where I just, I was diminishing my own worth and value. And if I ever, and I would get to a point where I'd start thinking positively about things, it wasn't hard to knock me off that track. Somebody could just say one negative comment to me, and all of a sudden, I'm right back down. And I'm believing their opinion of me more than my own worth. That was me growing up to the point where I had anxiety. I would wake up, I'd have panic attacks early in the morning. I didn't even know what they were. I specifically remember one day in particular, I had to leave my house, my parents' house. You know, I had to leave the house on a Saturday or Sunday. I was home alone because I somehow wanted to escape my body. I just didn't want to be me, because I had so much negative energy happening inside of me, where it was like, you know, the stress. Like, I like to compare it to, if you ever have butterflies before you competed in sports, that was like 24-7 with me, but intensified by 100. And I remember walking down the street, I walked to the corner, here I am on the corner, I remember the exact spot I was, that I kind of envisioned myself, Ripping my chest open and stepping out of my body because I just wanted to get out. I hated the feeling. And what it came down to was this my mind was destroying me. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the habits that I had to learn how to do was change the channel, turn it off. I had to learn how to say, okay, that thought doesn't belong there. Take that out of there and focus on something productive. And it could be, you know, I had a terrible habit of comparing myself to people. I don't know if you ever did this, Mark. Right. Because when you compare yourself to people, you don't say, oh, I'm going to (laughs) compare myself to the person that has nothing compared to what I have. No, you're comparing yourself to the person that has everything you want in one area or another, and then you feel inadequate. Mm -hmm. And I had to stop doing that because, you know, I couldn't play baseball like my heroes. I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do to the level of some of these people I could, you know? And so, you know, I had to kind of back up and say, well, that's not me. That's not the life I'm living. What can I do and start focusing on? And by the way, baseball wasn't even a dream of mine. I'm just giving that as an example.
1: I get it. Yeah. You know, I've been there with you. I know what you're talking about. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people have, I have a lot of friends that are engineers and they're stuck in their own brain. They're just stuck there. And we talk about it. We laugh about it when we talk about it because they're like, yeah, they're so detail oriented and methodical in their process that I explained to them. I said, let me explain to you how I wrote my first book and maybe this will will sum it up of the change that have happened in me. I wrote my first book. I'm not embarrassed to say this. I actually am inspired and hopefully this is can inspire other people. I didn't know the difference between an adjective and an adverb. I was a terrible student. I graduated in a half of the class in high school that made the top half possible. (laughs) And it wasn't because I was terrible because I wasn't smart that's the truth i felt my entire life i wasn't smart but what really was happening was i had attention deficit disorder and i didn't know how to focus i didn't know how to concentrate and i didn't know how to channel my brain in the right area so what was happening to me was was i had to you know put all that together when i wrote my first book i wrote it using my two pointer fingers trying to find the letters on the keyboard, my thumb for the space bar, and that was it. Three fingers. I typed my first book. I was reading a book on how to write a book when I wrote my first book because I didn't read enough books. I didn't know what they sounded like or what they read like, I should say. So I had to go through this process. If you read my books from one to 10, you're actually reading books, watching a guy learn how to become
1: a writer. It's fabulous. Yeah, Fabulous. Yeah,
0: and Yeah, But I say that's probably the same exact way that If you listen to a record from a band from one to ten, the first one is them trying to learn how to play their instruments and be a band.
1: Right, right. So
0: I'm not embarrassed by it. I hope it inspires some people to know that I have I have six Amazon bestsellers.
1: And congratulations! And it's the the key is you keep moving forward. You know what? You don't you don't go back. You move forward. And this knowledge that you're supplying us today is also add to that wisdom. You know, taking the knowledge and turn it into wisdom. And it's easy to, I mean, I I know what you're talking about. It's easy to stop and get in this rut. I call it a rut, but to be able to get out of that rut each time is find ways to get out of it. And you've done that in so many ways, but this is fabulous. Congratulations on your walk of life, your journey of life. It's fabulous that you've done that and you're sharing it with others. I'd like to continue, Flake. We're about out of time, but I do want to say, keep inspiring, keep encouraging, keep delivering the leadership that we need in our nation throughout, you know, coast to coast and internationally as well, because you're an international speaker as well, an author. And we've been listening to Frank Viscuso. Frank, will you give, again, your website information and how to contact as far as to get the books? You've got 10 books.
0: For sure. Again, it's just my name. It's frankviscuso.com, and that's Via's and Victor, I-S-C-U-S-O. I would encourage anybody listening to this particular podcast, if they had any interest in picking up a copy of any of the books, pick up a book that's titled It's Time to Step Up. That book was published by Penwell. I think that that's a a book that you would find a lot of value in as far as how to lead teams and how to lead people. But thank you so much, Mark, for giving me the opportunity to come on and speak.
1: Truly inspiring. And yes, Penwell is a great leader in the energy industry as well, as far as book publishing. So yes, please go to more for that as well. Again, thanks, Frank. And for the listeners, I want to say thank you for continuing to listen, spread the news to go to the Energy Fellows. And I want to thank the sponsor and also OGGN family for all that they do. You've been listening to the Energy Fellows podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury. The future of energy depends on us, depends on all of us.
0: Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.